Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. If you were here with us last week, we took a look at Matthew chapter 28, the last couple of verses of the book, which are known as the Great Commission. And uh, we read some of those words, and uh, you're familiar, I'm sure, many of you with those words. Uh, but we're going to read some more words of Christ here, the words that we just read. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. And there's some other parts there, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And uh, in the month of October, we do have our missions month. We'll have a number of missionaries or former missionaries coming through. And uh, oftentimes when we think about missions outreach, we think about the Judea and the Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We think about not just how we can reach people in our area, but in the rest of the, uh, of the United States, in the rest of the world. But for our sake here, as we're thinking about the fall outreach, we're going to emphasize, if you will, our Jerusalem, which would be the city that we live in, right? So the city that we live in, where we are, the places that we go, the city where we work in, and uh, all of these sorts of things. And, and Jesus is telling his disciples that they would be witnesses. That was their mission. That was their goal. That was their calling. And it was a great mission. Amen? The Great Commission is a great calling to read somebody with the gospel. And great missions need great power. To accomplish the mission that God has given to us, we are going to need power. Because we have a fall outreach and we're kind of, you know, have a program set, if you will, some things that we're going to do on a Saturday morning. We're going to have some events, like at the end of September, we'll have a fall festival. We'll have a lot of games and candy and raffle prizes. And we're going to invite a lot of families to come out and have a lot of fun. But having fall outreach and all of these programs and not having the power of God is like having a car but no engine, right? You can have the nicest paint job, the nicest leather seats, the nicest dashboard, but if you've got no engine, you're not going anywhere. And that's the point. The point is we want to get somewhere, amen? We want to make some progress. We want something to happen, so we are going to need some power. And it's the same that is true with our church. We can have the nicest buildings. You know, we're praying for a new building. Amen? We're praying for a new building, right? We're praying for, you know, plenty of parking spots and uh, Sunday school classrooms where you don't have to sit outside when it's 105 degrees and, you know, all of these. So we're praying for these things where, we're, you know, we're trying to design some, you know, invitations that you could take out that people will look at and be like, oh, this looks interesting. I'd, I'd like to figure, find out what this is and, and maybe I'd like to go and we could have the best music and, and the most educated of people here, but without power, there is no point. Amen? Amen? Without the power of God, there is no point. There are no souls that will be saved simply because we have a nice building or a wonderful program. People are only saved by the power of God. And God empowers those whom he calls. It is a spiritual power that is given to us for the spiritual work that God has called us to. See, what, what some people might think is, well, uh, you know, uh, it's not about your intellect. It's not about how well you could speak or how charismatic of a personality that you might have. Salvation is spiritual work. 
So we must have spiritual power. John chapter 1, verse number 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Romans chapter 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we're going to have this program starting this Saturday and going through the month of September and October and November and December. We're going to have a program, but if we're going to really see some progress, if we're going to see a harvest to come in, we need the power of God. Without God's power, we're really just spinning our wheels. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to just spend my time and my energy and make you know, these sacrifices if God isn't going to work. Amen? I don't want this just to be something that I'm doing. I want this to be something that God is doing through me and through you and through all of us. And so the question that we have to answer is, do we have the power of God? Because that's how souls are going to be saved. That's how we're going to make a difference. Do we have the power of God, that power that is needed to win souls? So I want to see a few simple truths this morning about the power of God in relation to soul winning. The first of which is the promise of God's power. Verse number eight. We're there. Acts chapter one, verse number eight says, but ye shall receive power. This is a promise. It is a guarantee that Jesus gave to the church. You will receive the power. That power that we need for soul winning is guaranteed. And God gifted it to us. He gave us that power for the purpose of reaching souls with the gospel. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me. So the power is not just, well, where is the power? God says, you will have the power. You have the power. The second thing that I want to note is the potency of God's power. In verse number eight, he says, but ye shall receive power. When we talk about the power of God, what exactly do we mean? What kind of power are we talking about? Well, the word power there is the Greek word from which we get our English word dynamite. So in a way, you could say the power of God is dynamite, <laughs> right? It's dynamic. It's divine. God's power is mighty. And the church needs the mighty power of God because without God, we are weak. Amen? Amen? We are weak. You're weak. We are weak. If you take a look at the disciples that are here, the church that is gathered together, there's 120 of them that were gathered here in Acts chapter number one. There's 120 people in the church. Now, uh, on a Sunday, on an average Sunday, our church has more than 120 people coming to the services every Sunday. So the numbers vary, of course, a little bit from week to week, but every week we have at least 120 people spread across the different ministries. We have a Korean service that comes in later. We have a Spanish service that comes in later. You take everybody, we have more than 120 people. Now, let's forget temporarily, hypothetically, about all the other Christians that are in the world, okay? Let's forget about all the other churches, all the other believers, all the other pastors, all the other ministries. Let's forget about all of them for just a second 
And let's say God came to us and said to us, all right, Bible Baptist Church here in Gardena, I want you to reach everybody in the world with the gospel. We would think that's impossible. That's impossible, right? Let's take 120 people and there are six continents, right? There's seven continents, but let's just for sake of illustration say six, right? You know, there's 20 people per continent, all right? I want 20 volunteers, all right? You got to preach the gospel to everybody in Asia, okay? All of them. That's your job. We would think that's impossible. There's no way we could do that by ourselves. By ourselves. There's no way we could do that. But not with God. For with God, all things are possible. In fact, the book of Acts is in many ways a demonstration of that power. Acts chapter number 2. You have your Bibles open there. Acts chapter number 2. Verse number 4. Begins to demonstrate the power of God that came upon these believers here in the early, in the early days of the church. Verse number 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here are people that don't know these other languages and they're miraculously speaking in a language that they don't know. And in verse number seven, it says, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. I mean, they're listing off all of these people that come from all over the place that speak all different languages and every one of them are hearing the wonderful words of God in their own language. We do hear them speak speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. God put his hand upon this church that was there in Jerusalem to preach the word of God so that everybody could hear and understand whether they spoke Greek or not. No matter the language that they spoke, God put his hand upon them so that they could hear the word of God. And the result of that was there was an opportunity to preach the gospel verse number 22, if you go further down in the chapter, it says, here's Peter speaking. He says, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, uh, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So here is God's hand coming upon the church. They miraculously speak in other languages. They hear the word of God. They come together. Peter preaches the gospel. And on this day, 3,000 people get saved. Let's go further. Chapter number three, verse number two. 
Here's Peter and John. They're going to the temple area. The, the Bible says in verse number two, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. And Peter fastening his eyes upon him with John said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So here is a man that was born crippled from birth, and they just put him at the gate, and he would beg every single day for money. That's what he would do. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't work, couldn't have a job. So somebody you know, in the family would take him over there in the morning time. He would beg every single day for money, and at the end of the day, a family member would come and bring him back home. So here is one of these days, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple area. Here is this man that is there. And Peter says, look on us, look at me. And so he looks at them and he's expecting to receive some money. Verse number six, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, what a sight. Here is a man that everybody would have known because every day he was there. Every single day he was at the temple area. Every day people would have walked by. Every day people would have recognized him. And suddenly on this day, he's walking and jumping and running through the temple area, shouting praises to God. You could imagine all the attention that would have gathered. Whoa, what is going on? Well, in verse number 12, Peter sees another opportunity to share the gospel. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto them, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness, we had made this man to walk? He's saying, don't look at us like this is something that we did. Verse number 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. So here is Peter once again. Here is a miracle that happens. The power of God is there. It's demonstrated. Peter preaches the gospel and he says, Jesus Christ, he died, he was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. This is proof that he was God. He was the son of God, that he died for the sins of the world. On this day, the Bible says 5,000 were saved. I mean, that's incredible power. That's incredible results. He can also change the greatest enemy of the gospel and the church to the greatest preacher of the gospel and proponent of the church. Saul was a Pharisee. He was, he was the enemy of the church. He was the one ordering, hey, let's go. Let's find all of these Christians. Let's imprison them. Let's beat them. Let's kill them. That's what Saul was doing with zealousy. That, that was his obsession. That's what he thought about all day, all night, all the time. That's what he did. And he was on his way to Damascus when he got saved. God met with him and he said, hey, you know the pricks, you know the Holy Spirit conviction, you know that Jesus Christ is the son of God, you know that he died, you know that he was buried, and you know that he rose again. 
Why won't you be saved? That's what Jesus is saying. And he gets saved. And the Bible says in verse number 20 of Acts chapter number 9, and straightway he preached the Christ, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. So one day he's going up to try to kill Christians. Now he's saying these Christians are the ones who have the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on, the, on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? Isn't this the one that was taking all of the Christians and putting them in jail and killing them and destroying them? Now he's preaching Jesus Christ? This, this is a head scratcher here. What could have possibly happened? Well, the power of God is what happened. The power of God came and the power of God worked on his heart and he was saved. He trusted in Christ as a savior. These are incredible demonstrations of the power of God. And God's power has not weakened one bit since that day. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like he got old and weak. He is still just as strong as ever before. The question then would be, well, if God is still just as strong, where's the power? Where's the power? Which brings us to where we'll park for a little bit, the person of God's power. The power of God is in a person. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. See, the power of God is not in our methods. Amen? Amen? It's not in about how slick of a social media, you know, page that we could have. Some graphics, when we do our live stream, it's not in our plans or in our uh, finances or money. It's not in our talents or abilities. The power of God is in a person. And that person is the Holy Spirit. It is that Holy Spirit that does the salvation work. It is the Holy Spirit that does the conviction. It is the Holy Spirit that does the saving. It is the Holy Spirit that does the working. John chapter 16, verse number 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, this Comforter is the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, who is the he? The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you shall see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. See, when we go out into the world and we meet with our friends who are lost, we meet with our coworkers who are lost. We meet with sometimes random strangers that are lost. And we want to see them to be saved. Amen? We want to see them to be saved. I mean, that's our calling. We as believers, we are the light. And they are not yet saved. We could shine as light so that they could be saved too. What a wonderful opportunity for us. But how can somebody be convicted of their sin? That conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. That conviction that is necessary for salvation needs to come from the Holy Spirit of God. It cannot come from you. Amen? Amen. All right? That conviction should not be from me. Hey, you're a sinner. Well, that might be the truth, but I shouldn't be the one to convict them of their sin. 
God should be the one to convict them of their sin. Uh, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse number 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit is able to convict because he is the one that is able to save. All right. I can't save you. You can't save anybody else. It is God who will do the saving. So I want to take a look at this Holy Spirit for just a few moments. First of all, seeing the residence of that person. God's power is in a person, that person being the Holy Spirit. And what that means is that God's power is in every believer because the Holy Spirit is in every believer. All right? The power of God is in the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the power of God because the Holy Spirit resides in every single believer. Romans chapter 8 says, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of God, a uh, spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What, what God is saying here is if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. All right. It, there's just no two ways about it. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So if you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. So if you're saved, the Holy Spirit is there. Verse number 11 says, but if the, Holy, if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. So if you are saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So every Christian has full access to the power of God. Amen. 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 You might say, I just got saved. You have full access to the power of God. You have full access to what God has for you. And that power, of course, in this area is with the emphasis of winning souls. So if you want to win souls, then go with the Holy Spirit's power. Amen? All right, we talked about if you're maybe you've never gone soul winning before, you never shared the gospel with somebody, uh, and you never gone out into the neighborhoods and maybe left invitations on doors and things like that. You know, that's okay. We can pair you up with somebody who's been there before, knows what to do, maybe is familiar with some different experiences, able to share the gospel with somebody, leave an invitation, start a conversation, all sorts of things like that. And you'll have a partner to go with you. Just make sure that the Holy Spirit also goes with you. Don't go with a human partner and leave the Holy Spirit behind. We got to go together. Which brings us then to our relationship with that, per, uh, with that person. Okay? If the Holy Spirit dwells and lives within every believer, why is it that some seem to have more access to that power and others less? Right? Why does it seem like some Christians just seems like God just works through them? Just, God just keeps working through them, and God doesn't seem to work through others. Well, if you want access to the power that is in the Holy Spirit, you must have a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. Right? You have to have a good relationship. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be quenched. Quench not the Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit, if we're going to use the illustration, is a fire, the believer can quench it. The believer can put it out. He can put the wet blanket of sin on the Holy Spirit, quenching the Spirit and hindering the power. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit can be grieved and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
You can resist the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can do things that the Holy Spirit does not want you to do. That's going to hinder the Holy Spirit's working in your life and through you to reach others. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea here is that to be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. The idea is if the Holy Spirit fills you, then the Holy Spirit is the one that is in control. What the Holy Spirit says for us to do, we do that. We don't make the decisions. Whatever the Holy Spirit says, we're going to do that. We're going to say that. We're going to go there. We're going to follow the directions of the Holy Spirit. So while the Holy Spirit indwells every Christian, the Holy Spirit has not filled every Christian. All right. The Holy Spirit does not have control of every Christian. We might put it this way. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does not have every Christian. All right? The picture here would be one of like a glove. You are the glove and the hand is the Holy Spirit. Right? The glove without the hand can do nothing. Right? But the glove that is operating by the power of the hand can do whatever the hand wants to do. And it is not the working of the glove, it is the working of the hand in the glove. Does that make sense? All right. So the Holy Spirit dwells within you and the Holy Spirit is able to work and able to move. So we are simply being filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do and He will do the working. So this is when holy living comes into practicality, all right? Why should we live holy lives, all right? I'm saved, aren't I? If I died today, I would go to heaven. And if you're saved today, if you died today, you would go to heaven. And if you died 50 years from now, you would still go to heaven, because once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you're born into the family of God, you're always part of the family of God. Now, for the next 50 years then, why should I live holy if that will not change? Well, one of the biggest reasons, there are many others, we should do it for the glory of God, we should do it because God says so, we should also do it because I want to see people to be saved. Do you want to see people to be saved? <laughs> you do, right? And the Bible says that salvation work is not my work, it's the Holy Spirit's work. And when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We could quench the Holy Spirit if we resist the Holy Spirit. So we have to live holy lives. We have to follow the Word of God. That's so important. We have to do what God wants us to do. We have to be, let's follow what the Bible says. You say, what does that have to do with soul winning? Well, what it has to do with soul winning is, I want the Holy Spirit to have full control of my life. Because it is when the Holy Spirit has full control of my life that the Holy Spirit can work, and it is the Holy Spirit that will convict and see souls to be saved. So what are some things? So some of the verses that we just read about the Holy Spirit come from Ephesians. So if you just took a look at the book of Ephesians and saw a couple of verses, what does God want us to do? Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11, these verses will be on the screen, but these, all of these verses will come from Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. 
The Bible says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. So God has given to every church some individuals to preach and teach and help believers to learn and grow in the word of God. Verse number 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So what the Bible is saying is every believer that is a member of Bible Baptist Church, we're a part of the body of Christ that is here, and every body part has a function. Every body part has something to do according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So what does the Holy Spirit want us to do? It wants us to serve in the church. Amen? And we got to serve in the church. You might say, well, what does serving in the church have to do with soul winning? It has to do with yielding to the Holy Spirit. It has to do with, I want the Holy Spirit to have control of my life. When, we have con when God has control of our life, we are following the head. The head being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the mind of Christ. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. He is the head and he wants the body to be involved in that process of seeing people to be saved. The Holy Spirit also wants believers to live in holiness. Verse number 30, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, we read this verse earlier, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. All right? So God wants us to forgive each other. All right? God wants us to put away bitterness. Uh, somebody did you wrong. Somebody said something mean about you, and you're holding on to that in your memory, and you just can't, you know, be real friends. You can be polite and, you know, kind of uh, just, you know, say nice things, but you really don't feel like, I can be friends with that person because, you know, think about what that person said and, you know, all of these things. And God wants you to put that away. God wants you to put away the bitterness. God wants you to put away the wrath and the anger, the evil speaking. We should be kind one to another. We should be forgiving all of these things. Why? Because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want this Holy Spirit to have full control. The Holy Spirit will say, you know that thing that, that, that somebody said against you? Think about all of the things that you did against Christ and how Christ forgave you. Oh, why don't you think about that? Why don't you forgive them in the same way that I forgave you? That's what God wants us to do. So that way we cannot grieve the Holy Spirit. And you might think, what does forgiving this brother or sister in Christ who said something mean to me 10 years ago have to do with reaching somebody with the gospel today? How are those even in any relationship at all? It has to do with the filling of the Holy Spirit. All of these things go together. Imagine if... Um, a husband and wife, you know, they're going to go on a date, you know, they plan this whole thing out on a Friday night, and, uh, you know, they come home, and, uh, you know, they got the babysitter coming over, and, you know, they're trying to get all the kids together, and, you know, put everything away, and they begin to fight about something, you know, you know, they're, you know, got to change the diaper of the baby or something, I don't know, and uh, the wife is like, well, why don't you do it, I'm busy, I got to get ready, and, and the husband's like, I just got home from work, why don't you do it, and they begin to fight and argue over this thing, and then finally the babysitter comes, and they're like, uh oh, well, okay, we just got to go, all right, can you imagine, if after that whole big argument, they sat in the car and the husband looked over to the wife and said, aren't you ready for a wonderful date tonight? 
wonderful date tonight. What are you talking? Yeah, we got off to a great start. Yeah, all right, let's talk about that, you know? You can imagine, what does this have to do with that? It's because it's the same person. It's the same person. Now, they happen at different times, but it's still the same person. It is the Holy Spirit that does salvation work. It is the Holy Spirit that works in our lives to say, hey, you ought to forgive that other person. Hey, you ought to live in the love of Christ. Hey, you ought to do all of these things. So what does personal holiness have to do? Why should I watch what I do, you know, watch the things that I watch on the internet or the things that, the music that I listen to or the places that I go or the thoughts that I have? What does that have to do with soul winning? Well, because it's the same person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit. And so God wants us to live in holiness because people need to be saved. The Holy Spirit also moves believers to submitting to one another in love. If you move forward to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And there are some practical things in some very um, close relationships that God wants us to do. So if we just run through these real quick, these are all in Ephesians 5 and 6. You can look them up later. But why submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord? And husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. All right. So what does husbands loving their wives and wives submitting their own, uh, unto their own husbands have anything to do with soul winning? That seems completely unrelated. Well, it's the same person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And verse number four, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right, what does my relationship with my child or my parents have anything to do with soul winning? It's the same person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter six, verse number five, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Verse number nine, ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Well, what does my conduct at work have anything to do with soul winning? Well, it's because these are the things that God wants us to do. I think one of the greatest examples is somebody who's just following what God wanted him to do. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, just doing what we might think of as fairly regular, plain service in the church. Is in Acts chapter number six, where you have the first deacons that were elected to that very first church. And the apostles said, all right, I want you to find people who are filled with the Holy Spirit who will be able to do the service. What was the service? The service was taking care of the widows. The service was fairly monotonous. It was go over to the widows, see how they're doing. If they need food, get them food. If they need help with something, help them with that thing. It's fairly ordinary type service. But Stephen was elected to it, and the Bible made sure to mention that the apostle said, make sure that they are full of the Holy Ghost. Make sure that they are full of the Holy Ghost. Verse number three. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of, holy, uh, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So here is this regular ministry in the church that the apostle said, I want people who are full of the Holy Ghost to serve in this area. Verse number nine says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke or by which he spake. So in Acts chapter number six, 
uh, you, and get, getting into seven, you see, okay, he preached the gospel. He was martyred there at the end. Saul was there, and we already saw earlier how Saul got saved. Amen? Somebody gave to him the gospel. He heard it, and he didn't get saved at that moment, but the Holy Spirit kept working. And I believe it started here in Acts chapter number six when Stephen preached the gospel to him. Here was somebody full of the Holy Ghost just doing what God asked him to do, which is, well, the church elected me to serve in this area of helping widows, so I'm going to go do that. And there was an opportunity for him to preach the gospel, and I believe it's by his testimony that the Apostle Paul got saved. All right? So what does holy living, what does just serving and participating in my church have anything to do with soul winning? It all centers around God, specifically the Holy Spirit. So that's why we should live holy. That's why we should think about, well, God must want me, if I'm a member of Bible Baptist Church, God must want me to do something. I have a function somehow, some way. How can I serve in that capacity? All of these things come together with the aspect of soul winning because we want the Holy Spirit's power to be working when we go out soul winning. And the result of that was, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, is Acts chapter 2 verse number 37. It says here, now when they heard this, they heard the gospel, the Bible says that they were pricked in their hearts. There was conviction. Was it because Peter was such a highly educated person? No. Was it because he had some great linguistic training and had the best speech writers write the speech for him? No. You know what it was? It was the Holy Ghost. Was the Holy Spirit working in their hearts. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I would love for somebody to say to me, what, what can I do, sirs? What must we do? What must I do to be saved? Then Peter said unto them, repent. Verse number 41, then they that, were, that, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So we're going on Saturday, we're going to go out, and we're going to pass out invitations. Some might knock on doors, some of you might grab some invitations and just go, you know, hand them out throughout the week. But don't think that soul winning is just in the moments when you leave an invitation on the door, when you have a conversation with somebody lost. Really, soul winning is all-encompassing in our lives. Every moment has something to do with soul winning because it has to do with the person of soul winning. The Holy Spirit has to do with God. And so we have to think about, well, I can't just watch filth on TV Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and wake up Saturday and suddenly say, all right, Holy Spirit, I know I've been grieving you this whole week, but come on, let's go win some souls. He's going to say, hold on a second here. I'm the same person that you were treating this way Monday through Friday, and suddenly you want me to do this thing. Maybe you need to make some things right first. Amen? Maybe there are some things in our lives. We know what the Bible says in our relationships, in a marriage, with a parent and a child, maybe with a coworker, with your boss, and all sorts of different things can come into play because we might think, well, what does that have to do with soul winning? Well, it has to do with the moving of the Holy Spirit. If we want the moving of the Holy Spirit, we have to be fully controlled by Him. If God says, you know what, you need to cut this off out of your life completely, no matter how dear it is, you might say, you know what, but the Holy Spirit, I want to have that full control of the Holy Spirit, and I'm willing to do that. And so let's think about this week. All right, soul winning doesn't just start Saturday morning at, at 10 o'clock when we have a lesson, we begin to go out. It begins today. It begins right now. 
it begins, you know, we're going to have an invitation time. We'll have the music playing and, and uh, people will have their heads bowed. That's an opportunity for you to say, you know what? I know that the Holy Spirit's working on my heart in this area and I'm going to make it right. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to go find that person and we're, I'm going to make that relationship right. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask God for forgiveness of this area. I'm going to make some decisions to make some changes in my life. It, it, it can begin today. And so let me ask you to consider do you have the Holy Spirit's power? Do you want the Holy Spirit's power when you go soul winning?